Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne, and we are so happy to finally give you episode one of season two. We're back. We are back. This is our our second year of this. What even? That's bananas. Absolutely banana crackers. Um, Hey, Amanda, where did we go for coffee today? We went to Synergos because it's really close to your house and we record here and both of us are in a mood. <laughs> this will be an interesting one. So Amanda, what, what did you get from Synergos? I just got a regular Americano, added a little bit of half and half to it, served hot to try to get rid of some of this vocal fry. Um, this is only my second cup of coffee. It is now 3.04 p.m. I have been up since... 5 a.m. because being a parent is wonderful. Uh, Corinne, what did you get? I got the uh, lavender spice latte because I think there might be crack in it. Oh, it's delicious. We've definitely waxed poetic about this on this podcast before. Yep. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to embrace all the dairy products because... Vocal fry is just part of my life. And now that I have to listen to myself talk when I edit these things. Oh, hello, Patrick. Uh, So, Corinne, what is our card today? I love the bright pink on this box. So I thought we're kicking off a new season. I'm certainly a very silly woman today. And I have a copy of the Rebel deck, the quote unquote Oracle with Attitude. Love it. Uh, Zero filters, zero fucks, all fun. (laughs) is says very here very clearly here on the deck and it's true i think it's hilarious and i feel like it vibes well with what we do so i pulled the card today and it says make better fucking choices if you are pissed at where you are then stop taking yourself there so i don't know if it's telling me to get good (laughs) or if this week is going to be a wreck or if this episode is going to be special I, you know, this episode is going to be a train wreck in the way all of our episodes are, so. <laughs> they, yeah, ooh, wow, we are, we're adults. We are grown-ass women who pay mortgages. Yup, yup, yup. Um, anyway, Amanda, what's our topic today? Okay, I'm actually really excited about this topic, and I think people will be as well. Uh, we couldn't think of a better topic to open the new season with than werewolves. Okay, so I have a story for you. Okay. And it has nothing to do with uh, what I researched, but it does have to do with werewolves. Okay. And this is the story of what I'm pretty sure, looking back historically, is baby's first panic attack. Sixth grade, picture it, tiny Catholic schoolgirl Corinne, has been taken to a haunted house with some of her friends and responsible adults. Corinne, I've been there when you've just watched the trailer for a horror movie and had a panic attack. Uh-huh. So anyway, and I didn't know that I had a panic disorder when I was a small child because 
I was just an anxious small child, and that's normal, right? Uh Uh-huh. So they take us in there. I start freaking the fuck out. Like, I cannot tell you how upset I was. So I have run in terror, and I, I guess I got, like, stuck in an area that I wasn't supposed to be in. And this poor actor dressed as a werewolf, and this is why this is relevant, uh-huh, uh-huh. is trying to herd me back to the group. Obviously, he can't touch me. I'm freaking out, screaming, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. And he <laughs> goes, little girl, I ate your mommy. And in my terror, I headbutted him. Oh, no. I headbutted this poor actor. I still feel bad about that to this day. Um, but yes, they were able to escort me out and I waited for the rest of my group because I was traumatized and I don't do haunted houses anymore. Yeah. I love haunted houses. I don't. Um, I, I can definitely see where that was not a great introduction to them. Well, so my grade school would do like a Halloween party and they did the haunted hall. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was geared at, you know, kindergarten through eighth graders. So it's not that horrifying. And I'm like, well, I can tank that, no problem. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, no. (laughs) But yeah, I thought that that story would be a good one to share. Uh, I am, to this day, ashamed of the fact that I headbutted this poor actor who probably was not expecting to get a small pissed off child (laughs) ramming her head into his stomach well it's good to know that your fight flight or freeze response is fight apparently um i'll tuck that one away yeah (laughs) good to know huh that might be good to know anyway would you like to to regale us with yes uh so for this topic i had to go with an american werewolf classic the lugaru Okay, I was wondering if that's what you were going to do. Yes, I've been warning Corinne that she's going to have to listen to me pronounce words in French. And it's fine because it's Louisiana and they pronounce things differently than I'm used to anyway because I'm... Yes and no because now I yeah. am going into the background. That's valid. As is, in fact, the premise mm-hmm. of this podcast. Yep. Okay. Um, but the Lugaru, also referred to as the Rugaru, which can be spelled with or without the X in Ru, which I did not know. Love that. Uh, now I'm thinking Soup Wolf. <laughs> He's just a little soup guy. He's just a little soup wolf in the swamp. He's fine. I'm fine. Oh, no. Um, so when I first thought about covering the Rugaru for this episode, I, like a fool for some reason, thought that this legend was localized to the Cajun Acadiana, a.k.a. in and right around New Orleans. Mm -hmm. You know, when I thought Rougarou, I thought Cajun accents, swamps, humidity that has you feel like you're drowning on land, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I was not correct. Oh. All right. So the Lugaru, and yes, I will continue switching which name I go by throughout this segment because I haven't decided which one I like better. Valid. Was brought to the New World by way of the French. Bien sûr. Uh, the French, you know, as they came over and colonized, brought stories of the Lugaru, which first popped up in France in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Lou, coming from the French word for wolf. Yep. 
and garou being the French word analogous to werewolf. So the Lugaru is Moon Moon because it is wolf werewolf. (laughs) I hate it because I almost said the exact same thing. (laughs) Oh, I had to do that to you. Mm. So naturally, the myth exists not only in Louisiana, but also in Quebec and various nations in the Caribbean. Makes sense. And we'll actually get back to the Caribbean myths here in a bit. Um, But for now, I want to focus on the classic Cajun variety wolves because that's, they're just fun. I love it. Yes. Bring it to me. All right. So the only commonality in Rougarou stories in Louisiana is that the monsters are big and hairy. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm in a mood. (laughs) I'm good. We're fine. Um, So appearances can vary quite a bit amongst accounts. Uh, It may appear like what we in the West first think of when we hear werewolf. You know, the wolf-man hybrid, long fangs, drool, yellow eyes, you know, a creature hunching over as the bones contort into a perversion of a mammalian skeleton. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. I like the implication that humans aren't mammalian. I mean, classic (laughs) hunched-over werewolves don't look like human skeletons either. They look like a sick facsimile of one. I'm just saying... (laughs) Um, but sometimes, and I'll dive into stories, or not stories, well, into some theories about this in our next episode, Mm -hmm. but sometimes they appear as wolf or dog-headed humans. Okay. Um, and their bodies remain completely humanoid. Okay. And then there are some stories where it's not a wolf at all. Oh, So when you think about the wildlife in the swamps in and around New Orleans. Okay. What animal do you not consider? I mean, I don't think of wolves, no. Exactly. So wolves are not native to that area of the country. So the French brought them over and, of course, said, no, the Lugaru are half man, half wolf beings Mm -hmm. because wolves were everywhere in the folklore in and around France. Of course. Um, But as we get closer and closer to the modern day, up until around the 70s when things became wolves again, Uh you have creatures who are just hairy mammalian creatures. And then you have some stories of some more reptilian. Gators! Yep. I was waiting for... Okay. I was really hoping that this is where this was going to go. And I don't know about you, but I find alligators terrifying enough as is. I don't need to imagine them as supernatural monsters as smart as humans. Like, please take those dinosaurs back to the Jurassic. Thank you very much. (laughs) So now switching gears a little bit. Excellent. There are a few different ways that tradition tells us a person can turn into a Rougarou. Okay. So a person can be bitten by an existing one. Makes sense. Pretty bog standard werewolf myth there as far as Western myths go. Okay. They can be cursed by a witch. Okay. And under that myth, if you are cursed, you must hide your Rougarou nature for 101 days, at which point the curse is lifted. So it's a little bit more than a business quarter. Got it. Mm -hmm. But if you tell anyone or anyone witnesses you in your Rougarou form, you will be cursed to be a Rougarou for the rest of your life. 
Interesting. Okay. And the Rougarou's motivations for its bloodthirsty actions are manifold throughout different stories. That makes sense. Uh, First, it's said that the transformation itself can cause the Rougarou to lose track of its own mind, falling prey to a baser animal instinct. Okay. The monster itself could actually be a sorcerer bent on using its supernatural abilities to terrorize others. Like you do. And then my absolute favorite. Yes. So, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Founded to be incredibly Catholic. Yes. There are not counties. There are parishes. Yes. The Rougarou will chase down and attack any Catholic, especially any child, who doesn't observe Linton restrictions. <laughs> so, uh... Oh. You ate a chicken nugget on a Friday between Ash Wednesday and Easter? This here abomination's gonna tear your liver out and drain your blood because that's what Jesus would do. <laughs> or something. Have I told you about Blasphemy Roulette? No. So, fun fact, the box for a quarter pounder and the box for a fish fillet at McDonald's are the exact same size. <laughs> so you order one less fish fillet than you need. But then you get that quarter pounder and you put them all in the same bag and everybody has to draw. And you either get the nice good Catholic fish sandwich or you get the blasphemous quarter pounder. I learned about this from Tumblr. You're welcome. Amazing. (laughs) Can we play Blasphemy Roulette this Lent, please? Uh, Yes. Yes. Um. But going back to this portion of the myth, in fact, according to this story, a Catholic who lapses during Lent for seven years in a row would automatically turn into a Rougarou, which, uh, <laughs> whoops. I'm, okay, I'm seeing some very interesting parallels to some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about. Amazing. Which is fascinating because I didn't do France for once in my damn life. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I love about this podcast is yep. finding those those common threads that you don't expect to show yeah. up. Yeah, it'll, Okay. I love it. Okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, whoops. Whoopsie doodle. So uh, I've just been ignoring those transformations when they happen to me because I definitely have lapsed at least once every Lent for the past decade. What? Or more. What? It's fine. We're good Catholic girls. You can tell. <laughs> so before I move on completely from Louisiana, I do have to say there is one foolproof method to keep yourself safe from... A Lugaru. Is it is it a cross? Like Frogs. Cross? What the fuck? The beasts are terrified of frogs. Why? I could not find a reason. I there aren't poisonous frogs. Yeah. What? In Louisiana. Why? F- what? Is it? A- So my own personal theory that I could not find any evidence to back up. Mm -hmm. So this is complete headcanon. Ooh, we're making your own fake lore. Yep. Is there was a community of moms who were all like, someone told our goddamn kindergarten class (laughs) about the Lugaru. And now none of them will sleep. And it is just really fucking with everybody's household. So what can we come up with to make them feel safe that they see all the time? 
we live in a swamp. Frogs. <laughs> I, I, I accept that headcanon. That is the only explanation I can come up with. That and the probably more plausible one, which is frogs. If you recall the really distressing conversation we had about witches' bones. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about that. Frogs were another animal that was seen to possess certain magical traits. Okay, yeah, okay. That probably is more why. That is almost certainly the more accurate reason. I like yours better, though. But mine is more fun. Yeah. And as a white woman talking about another culture's folklore, Mm -hmm. it is, in fact, my birthright to be completely wrong and say it with authority. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Whoopsie doodle. Okay. Thank you for that. I do what I can. Mm-hmm. Whew. I said all of that with a straight face. I was so proud of you. I was I'm, like, she's going to say something really serious and profound here. And then I'm like, oh, no, she's not. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. Uh, what podcast do you me. think we're on? Sometimes we say heartfelt things. Sometimes we, we are very sincere. Other times we're this. Yep. So as I mentioned earlier, we're now going to move on to the Caribbean. Okay. So again, colonized area, heavy French influence. Yes. Throughout the Caribbean, you will hear tales of the Sukayant, a blood-sucking fiend that primarily attacks children. Okay. The Sukiyant is a shape-shifting vampiric monster that disguises itself as an elderly woman before shifting into its true form to feed. Okay. And that form varies across the Caribbean depending on whom you ask. Okay. Sometimes the woman stays an old woman but is suddenly flying around on a mortar and pestle. So traditional witch flying around. Mortar and pestle is a new one on me though. Oh, you haven't heard that one? No, that's a new one on me. Uh, That shows up in, I found a lot of that imagery when I was doing research on the uh, witch trial episode. Interesting. Okay. Uh, That's one of the reasons that mortars and pestles are so associated with witches. I mean, it totally makes sense. I guess I always thought, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're you're just doing your apothecary thing and you're you're grinding up your, your herbs I mean, and shit. I mean, yes, that's what the women who were accused of witchcraft or who self-identified as witches used it for. Yeah, I just, the flying aspect threw me. Yeah. And that, as a quick aside, probably has something to do with people using the mortar and pestle to grind up the herbs that they then used in their flying ointments. Yes. Um, sure. Largely hallucinogenic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As, again, we'll discuss in our next episode, um, hallucinogens are responsible for a lot of <laughs> bizarre folklore. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that. Woohoo! Uh, sometimes the woman, instead of flying around on a mortar and pestle, shifts into a ball of white light before launching itself down to feed. I don't think I like that. I... I mean, it sounds like ball lightning. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I don't know why that particular imagery is terrifying to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I hate it and I love it. Great. And in Haiti, mm-hmm. the creature is referred to as a Lugaru spelled a little differently. Yeah. Haitian Creole is... Its own thing. Yep. Uh, transforms into a beast. 
before draining your blood dry. I hate it. Thank you. Now, in Haiti especially, much like with Eastern European vampire traditions, Mm -hmm. you can draw a circle of rice around your home to dissuade the Sukiyant from entering, as it will be compelled to count each individual grain before it moves on any further. Interest. Okay. So I... I wasn't able to go as in-depth because I did spend a lot of my time that I allocated to this research looking into the traditional Cajun Lugaru. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that was brought over with the French as well as mm. part of a vampire myth. And it took on its folded own in uh-huh. to the Lugaru myth and somehow became one in Haiti. Uh-huh. Um, because I do know that there was a little bit of immigration for former slaves from Louisiana to Haiti, specifically because of the revolution Mm -hmm. there. Uh, So it could be that the two myths then smooshed, smooshed together. Uh, Though there are other werewolf style myths in Haiti Mm -hmm. that are not referred to as a Lugaru. Okay. They are, um, we're going to mispronounce everything. Hell yeah. Je Rouge, the Red Eyes. Okay. Because yeah, the Red Eyes are the only thing you see before it attacks you. Thank you for that. I can't wait to go to bed tonight. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks loads. Yep, and you can't even keep a nightline on because that'll just remind you of the uh, Sukiyant, so. I hate you. I do what I can. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is my segment. Again, I would love to have gone a little more in depth with specifically what's going on in the Caribbean, but I found that towards the end of my total research, and I didn't want to leave it completely yeah, uncovered. Um, I just didn't have as much time when doing the research for this, because again, this is not either of our full-time jobs at all yeah um but yeah okay all righty all right um so i guess that means it is my turn and as i mentioned before shocker of shockers i did not cover french wolf werewolf folklore i know words i guys i had to panic text corinne (laughs) i did i got that panic text to make sure that this wasn't going to be an issue and I will admit my research this time is a little bit more slapdash than normal. Um, my week while I was doing this research kind of went haywire. A good a haywire. Good like good haywire. But I did not have as much time to dedicate to this as I wanted to. But I still feel like I'm giving a fun story. Um, so anyway, my intent here was to be as wholesome as possible. Because I always know that Amanda lives to scare the crap out of me. Look, I I know this was the whole premise of this podcast was that you get to scare the bejesus out of me and then I make you sad. Yes. Anyway, um, because of that, when I first started brainstorming what I wanted to research in terms of like canthropy and werewolves, my first thought was about a Tumblr post that I've seen cycling around for the past several years. God bless Tumblr. A Tumblr, it's a good place for you, but it's also a bad place. Um... So in Scotland, this post explained, there is a variant of the werewolf who lives in the Shetland Islands, is largely gentle and harmless, and is known for leaving fish for poor families. And I find this wildly charming. 
just, I love it. So I had to dig in, clearly. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, this Tumblr summation of a creature known as the Wolver is accurate. Okay. The Wolver was first written about in the 1930s by a folklorist named Jessie Saxby, herself a native of the Shetlands. Per her telling, the Wolver is humanoid with a hairy fur-covered body and the head of a wolf. Uh, the Wolver lives in a cave and spends most of its time fishing and very generously shares its catch with poverty-stricken families. Um, sweet dog. I know. It's really sweet. And I was on the site for Folklore Thursday, and they also mentioned that the Wolver is known to sit outside the houses of the terminally ill and mourn. I know, right? Such a sweetie. I was like, this is so wholesome. However... There's always a however. This is not the however you think it is. Uh, contemporary folklorists largely believe that this may have been another instance of fake lore. Oh. There just isn't enough compelling evidence that the wolver was a common figure in Shetland folklore. Uh, in fact, the Shetland Museum and Archive have actually traced where Jesse Saxby came up with the idea. So, in their write-up about the origin of the wolver, they mention an early work from the late 19th century... Uh, by a scholar named Jacob Jacobson, and that might actually be Jacob Jacobson. I don't know. I just saw it written. Didn't didn't put on any listening things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was writing about the connection between place names in Shetland that start with wool as a prefix, because there's a lot of places that have wool something there, and the uh, prefix in Norse, alf, which means elf. Uh-huh. Uh, and as you will recall from some of the early episodes we've done, such as the Selkies episode, there is a not insignificant amount of cultural crossover and sharing between Norse and Celtic cultures. Which makes sense when you yeah. think about it geographically. I know. I And I struggle with that because when I think countries, I am constantly American, where you can drive for hours and still be in the same state. <laughs> yeah, that's not the case. It's not. In Europe it's, at all. And I, and I know these things because I have traveled in Europe. And yet, my American brain is like, other country, many far away. No. Anyway, um, basically, Jesse Saxby looked at Jacobson's research and said to herself, I reject your reality and I substitute my own. And then wrote a bunch of folklore fan fiction, which has become increasingly popular in the near century since she wrote her work. Which, again, I, as I demonstrated in this podcast, mm. have zero problem with you coming up with your own folkloric headcanons. Just admit that that's what they are. Yeah, apparently the Shetland archives get a lot of questions about wolvers, and they're like, guys, it's not real. I'm really sorry. It's not. Um, So, like, on the one hand, I'm super bummed that Scotland does not have this traditional tale of kindly wolfmen who make special deliveries of fish to households. And side note, I know Scotland is largely Protestant, but how useful would that be during Lent? <laughs> oh my goodness, so it many, all ties together. There, oh, it, there's more ties. There's more ties. Not Yay. with the Wolver. Um, but clearly, the other thing that I have learned here is that writing fic is far more beneficial than society told me it was. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so as I did my Googling around, I came across mention of the Fuela. And Amanda can see my notes here. Fuela is not spelled the way you think it is because this is Irish Gaelic. Not at all. And I looked up the pronunciation because I would like to be allowed back in my ancestral homelands someday. Indeed. My family is very Irish. 
Um, the Fuela is a lycanthrope from Ireland. Uh, Ireland was very noted for its wolf population back in the day, um, up until the last wolf was killed in the 18th century. Uh, it was, it was, there was a lot. There was many, many wolves in Ireland. That's why we have the Irish wolfhound. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And logically, I knew that the wolfhound would have had to have hunted wolves. Yes. But I don't think of wolves as an Irish animal. Yes, they were, in fact, quite Irish. Um, and the Fuela might, for some English speakers, be more familiar as the werewolves of Ossery. Ossery was a historic kingdom in southern Ireland. I did know that. I don't think that I knew of the werewolves of Ossery. So um, the werewolves there were extremely fierce warriors in one variant of the story. Um, okay. Tied to the kings of Ossuary, it was like the king's brother was able to transform into this beast. Um, you will They could like put on wolf skins essentially and become wolves themselves. And you'll see in a lot of Irish literature, especially from the medieval period, there are always these bands of roving young warriors who are described as wearing their hair in wolf-like styles. Oh my gosh, no, I have heard of this. Yes. Okay. This is a very common theme in Irish literature. Um, one of the articles I was reading about actually made the connection between the Fala, Fuela, sorry, the Fuela, and that new cartoon saloon film, The Wolfwalkers, mm-hmm. which I really want to see and I haven't because it's on Apple and I don't have that streaming service. Right? Like, streaming services were a great idea until everyone decided to get in on it. And I just, I don't want to pay cable prices. I know, right? And that's what you have to do now to get every streaming service. But yeah, so in some variants of these stories, the Fuela are very proud warriors who are going to fuck up your shit. Mm-hmm. Um, in another variant of the story, these are actually people who were cursed by St. Patrick. Now we're getting into the curses here. Who were cursed as a divine punishment for wickedness. So either every seven years or for a period of seven years, folks would be turned into wolves because apparently they were dicks to God. Well, you know, they ate a chicken nugget on a Friday, They did. God, those bastards. Those bastards. Interesting it's the seven years again. It tends to be a pretty culturally significant number in Western cultures, so it's not entirely unsurprising. Yeah. The explanation I heard when I was a kid was it's the combination of the number three, which represents God, and the number four, which represents man. Okay. That was, I don't know where I heard that explanation, but I remember either reading it or being told it when I was very little. And it's one of those things that just latched into my brain. You say it, and my brain takes me back to the social studies classroom in my Catholic middle school. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like I heard it there, too. Yeah. So, uh, in yet another variant on this particular story of the werewolves of Ossuary, um, it was, there's a, a region where this curse takes effect, and one man and one woman from the community would take on the curse, and they would be werewolves for seven years, and then they would come back and another couple would be cursed. I wasn't clear on if they're always romantic couples or not, mm-hmm. or if it's just like, rando dude, rando woman. I don't know. Um, But in this particular variant, there is a story about a werewolf who goes to a priest to ask for last rites for his mate and shows the priest that it's not blasphemy to give the dying wolf communion because, look, it's just an old woman under a wolf skin. Oh. Which, 
okay? It's kind of sad. That is really depressing. Yeah. I was like, that's, oh, my heart. But this is one of the only variants of the story where the werewolf is capable of speech. And the indication it is literally just some person wearing wolf skin. But that's the only version of the story where you see those particular variants. Hmm. Um, so anyway, wolves and warriors in Ireland, pretty common, very heavy in Irish literature. So perhaps this whole Fuela thing is not as surprising as it was to me. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't know Irish literature very well. Whatever. Um, so anyway, I'm going to veer off course a little bit because it's me. (laughs) Veer off course on this podcast, Corinne? I know. Gosh, what is wrong with me? Um, so I'm going to touch on another kind of two topics that I stumbled across. They are interconnected. Um, so with the Wolver story that I talked about, I said most contemporary folklorists now believe that this is an instance of fake war, right? Right. Back in the late 1980s, folklorist Susan Shun Eberly hope I had said her name right, speculated that the wolver could actually be an individual with a a congenital condition called Hunter syndrome, which, among other things, causes like a broadening of your features. The the wolf man. Yes. Yeah. Um, So while contemporary folklorists now disagree with her assessment, her article, Fairies and the Folklore of Disability, is well worth the read. And I did link to it. Phenomenal. Um, I downloaded it off of JSTOR. Which, again, you guys, check to see if your library yes. gives you access, because it, if it's funded enough, it probably does. If you want to dive deeper into these topics in a more academic context, your library is your friend, because JSTOR articles are expensive. Yeah, they are. Uh, it's really great. Um, yes, it was, it was good. Also... Staying in the, the whole um, ties between lycanthropy and illness sorts. There is clinical lycanthropy, Amanda. So I don't know what it says about me that this isn't surprising. I don't know the specifics. But I feel like I've seen this referenced in fiction before. So I'm going to dig into it a little bit because, uh, yeah, I'm just scrolling through Wikipedia and there's a hyperlinked phrase called clinical lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy? I am good at English. So obviously I had to like click on that, right? Because what? Uh, duh. Uh, and it turns out that clinical lycanthropy is a form of psychosis, though it is not currently linked to any particular disorder in the DSM-5. Uh, there is diagnostic criteria, though. Uh, it is largely self-reported by those suffering from psychosis during moments of lucidity saying that they are transformed or have transformed in the past into some sort of animal, or by witnessing animal-like behavior in the patient during their psychosis. Uh-huh. It is very rare, like extremely rare. Interestingly, the diagnosis is not limited to a human-to-wolf experience. Apparently, wolf-like and dog-like behaviors are a minority. Uh, please note, this diagnosis, again, is extremely rare. And also, I, just, I have to mention this. The use of mental illness and horror has a really gross history. Uh, yeah. So I'm not pulling this out there to be like, oh, look at this. It's so spooky. Mental illness. I just didn't expect to see the word lycanthropy in a clinical or psychiatric context. So that was kind of my, where I wanted to pull that in and not be like, oh no, mental illness is scary. So this is actually another (laughs) bit that is going to 
tie into something I'm covering in our next episode. Uh-huh. And we did batch these two together Specifically. As, as sort of a series. Um, can it be duology? I don't know. We did this on purpose. We're we not did. entirely pulling it out of our butts. Um, especially when you mentioned that the dog and wolf-like behaviors are less common. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to tie in a bit also with my references to hallucinogens. Woohoo! Um, so yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. Yeah, some of the the experiences that the article that I read cited included drug usage as the cause for the psychotic break. Yes, and that's something that at this point in time I don't really cover in my notes, but since we're not now recording both episodes at once, I'm going to dive into a little bit deeper. Um, so thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, because there is a noted issue with certain hallucinogens where you can end up, if you take certain hallucinogens while on SSRIs, you can end up with what's called serotonin syndrome. Okay. I've heard of that. Um, where you, you really, really fuck with your brain's ability to Mm -hmm. regulate its serotonin regardless of what medication you're on. Yeah. Um, which again, totally random. This is a folklore podcast, not a medical advice podcast. But when your doctor or an emergency medical personnel asks you what drugs you have taken and what medications you are on, they are not judging you. They are really trying to make sure that you don't end up in a situation like this because drug interactions. They're a serious thing. I made a doctor walk out of the uh, urgent care room with me one time. Because of my medical history and the medication that I was taking at the time. And it was making it so hard for him to give me anything. I had strep and a double ear infection. Because I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just walked out of the room in frustration. Kind of pulled himself together. Came back. And he's like, okay, I'm going to put you on this because you've said you've taken it successfully before. But please, for God's sake, never come back to urgent care again. Always see your primary care physician. <laughs> And I was like, well, I would have, but they were closed and I don't feel good. And they're like, yeah, it's because you've got strep and a double ear infection. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Uh, so, yeah, that uh, that's actually given me some fun uh, routes that I can take to bolster up my notes that were a little bare bones. Oh, the notes that I haven't written yet? Because <laughs> I'm a disaster person. We're adults. Super adult. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I. unless you have more to cover. No, that is uh, that is the extent of what I did. Like I said, I didn't get to dig in as deep as I really would have liked to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have some time constraints that I didn't expect this week. Hopefully, I will be a little bit more well-rounded for our next episode. If I'm not... It's because, uh, as I said, my life was disrupted and it's about to be disrupted a lot more. But in a good way. Again, in a good way. But I'm going to have a lot of extra stressors for at least the next month. All right. And because we are two married women of a certain age, no, neither of us are pregnant. No, that, okay. Good point. Good (laughs) point. We both have relatives who listen to this podcast, so... Yeah. We're going to rip. Thank you for reminding me. No, I'm not. I'm definitely not pregnant. Throwing that one out there. Just have some exciting opportunities coming up that I have to do a lot of prep work for. 
It's going to be good, though. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And we're going to... We're, we're back, bitches. Yeah. Oh, that was a terrible... I'm sorry. My voice... I could hear it there. That was bad. It's fine. We're fine. Whew. Apologies for your speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. And we're really happy to be back recording. Uh, really happy to be back researching. I'd forgotten how to research there for a second. <laughs> We're back. It's okay. Uh, and sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everybody. Good night. Before we let you go entirely, it is my honor to introduce you to our very first promo ever. Uh, we would like to introduce you to friends of the podcast, the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. Let's go ahead and roll their promo. Hello, I'm Aaron Bobick, host of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast, a show exploring the folklore, folk customs, rural crafts, communities, music, and food of the Appalachian Mountain. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at AppFolklorePod. Send me your stories at AppFolklorePod at gmail.com and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I look forward to hearing from you. Y'all be good. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Seanan McGuire, copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard.